The Keep Birth Wild podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners and custodians of the land, sky and waters on which this project is produced, and we pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. We extend this respect to all First Nations people on whose country we live, birth and raise children. We acknowledge the ongoing leadership, resilience and commitment of First Nations people who continue to fight for their right to safe and culturally appropriate experiences of pregnancy, birth and postpartum, and we commit to continuing to explore our own role in that journey. Lastly, we honour and celebrate the ancient birthing knowledge and practices that have existed on this country for thousands of years. May this wisdom continue to nurture life for many generations to come. Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Indy and through this series I'll be speaking to women who plan to birth their babies at home. Join me to hear home birth mothers sharing their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. In this episode, Sophie shares the births of her first two sons, Bernie and Oscar. Sophie fell pregnant unexpectedly when she was 21 and had a stressful pregnancy, juggling study and a tricky living situation. She planned a home birth with her private midwife and doula, and she ended up developing preeclampsia at 42 weeks and three days and um, headed to hospital for an induction. After a long and slow induction in hospital, Bernie was born via C-section. From his very first moments earthside, Bernie was an extremely unsettled baby. He screamed for hours and hours of the day and only slept for periods of up to 20 minutes at once, even all through the night. And being a first-time mum, Sophie thought this was pretty much normal and, and struggled through years of extreme sleep deprivation. When Sophie was 10 months postpartum, she fell pregnant again with her second son, Oscar. She planned a home VBAC with her midwife and doula, and after three days of labouring at home with Oscar, Sophie transferred to hospital, absolutely exhausted, for another caesarean. In this episode, Sophie shares vulnerably about the hardest times during her postpartum and her ongoing disappointment and grief at not having experienced a vaginal birth. Hi Sophie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> start by um, sharing a little bit about yourself and your family with the listeners. Yep. Um, so I live in uh, a community, a, a, um, a Yongu community in northeast Arnhem Land called Yurikala um, with my three sons, Bernie, who's almost four, Oscar, who is two, and my six-week-old baby, Jim, um, and Jack, my husband. He's a ranger facilitator here, and I'm a full-time mother. Mm, yeah, and thank you so much for coming on the show with a six-week-old. I, yeah, I can't even imagine how with three children, including a newborn, you're making time for this. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing. It's really special <laughs> to get to speak to you in these kind of early weeks after Jim's birth. Oh, thank you for having me. I wanted to record it because I didn't do that properly with the other boys and I forgot a lot about their, a lot of details about their births because of it. Mm. So we might go back to the beginning with, um, with Bernie. How did his pregnancy come about? Would you like to share a little bit about his conception, whether he was planned and, yeah, how he came into being? Yeah, so when... I was 20 and 21. Jack and I were in America. Uh, he was in Canada and I was in America, but we were seeing each other quite a bit still and we were still together. Um, and while we were over there, we both had a lot of, uh, well, he had actual encounters with bears and I had a lot of um, dreams and visions that, that, uh, entailed that yeah that bears were in and it felt really relevant like there was a mother bear who was like a midwife delivering it felt like she was delivering well delivering a baby to us even though we weren't trying for a baby at the time and 
we thought it would still be a long way off, but I was still taking those signs as, as knowing that we will have a baby sometime in the future. Um, and there was also some visions that I had about a little boy that was coming to me and I knew that he was my son. Um, and he just introduced himself to me a few times and every time I knew, every time I could feel him around me, I just knew he was getting closer and closer. But I was 21 and was not planning to become pregnant anytime soon. And when we, when Jack and I got back from America, we moved into a little bungalow together um, in Hillsville. And that was where he was conceived without us trying. We were not aware that he was coming at that time. Um, and Jack was at university and I was, I was also studying Steiner teaching at the Steiner seminar in Melbourne. And um, Jack at the time when I, when I found out that I was pregnant, he was away on a camp with, with uni. And um, so, yeah, so I found out on my own and it was a huge shock at first, but I called Jack straight away. Well, it took me a few days to believe that I was pregnant first. I kept thinking that the pregnancy tests were faulty. So I kept taking more and more until finally after maybe day I think it was about day three, I thought, okay, maybe this actually is real. Maybe I actually am pregnant. And Jack, I, I told him over the phone and he was definitely, definitely in shock, but he didn't take too long to adjust. And once he did adjust, he was, he was so excited and so happy about it. It just took a little, little while because we were both 21, so young. <laughs> Mm, amazing. And yeah. did you, you chose to plan a home birth with him um, as a first time mum at 21, which is a pretty, I guess, an unusual, a wonderful decision, but an unusual decision. Had you, how did you kind of come to that? And uh, had you ever thought before about where you would want to give birth? Um, my, yeah, so my, my mum had a very, very traumatic birth with me. And through my whole childhood, I had heard that story over and over and over again, every single birthday and just whenever she felt like it. I've, <laughs> yeah, yeah, how horrible it was. And it was mainly because of unnecessary intervention. And so I think it was just ingrained into me to be terrified of unnecessary intervention. And to me, that meant going to hospital. So I... Um, yeah, just, just the thought of the hospital really scared me. So I thought I did some research and spoke to some people and um, ended up having Steph, your, your godmother, as my doula and spoke to her a lot about it and she was picking up on the vibe that I needed to feel comfortable in my surroundings, which obviously all working women need to do and the best way for me to do that was possibly to stay at home so um so that was why we decided to but at the time we didn't well yeah we didn't actually have a home we were living in a tiny little one room uh bungalow which we soon moved out of because i was so morning sick and the kitchen was in the same room as everything, the bedroom and everything. So so we actually didn't have a home. So we ended up moving into Dad's, my dad's house, which was an interesting choice for a home birth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, just going back a little bit, I just, um, yeah, that decision that you made, like I've, I've heard your mum's traumatic birth stories as well, I think. Anybody that knows her has heard them. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing to grow up with that and for the result to be being afraid of the hospital and intervention, not being afraid of birth overall. That's Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I actually, yeah, it's true. I wasn't afraid of birth. I was afraid of 
losing the power of birth, I think, more. Mm. Which to me meant, which, yeah, which to me was because of being put into a hospital setting. Hmm, yeah. Yeah, and then so going on from there, um, Steffi helped you find some midwives. What sort of, yeah, what um, kind of midwifery option did you go with and how did you find your care throughout your pregnancy? Um, I ended up, uh, I just, I called only, I actually ended up only calling one midwife. I think Steph actually told me about her, Belinda, and she, we met her and straight away we just went with her, didn't even think to look for anyone else. Um, we were happy with her and she was keen, she was really keen to have us. So I think, I think her keenness sort of just, we were, we were 21 and we were not very good at um, standing our ground or speaking up or anything like that. And so if someone was excited about doing something with us or with me, I sort of just went along with it and just said yes. So I think that sort of happened in that situation. But she was very good in the first birth. I really, I didn't regret it at all. Mm, yeah. And, yeah, how was the rest of your pregnancy? How were you feeling and, um, yeah, how were you feeling as you approached 40 weeks or 41 or 42 weeks? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the first trimester was pretty normal for a, for a first pregnancy with lots of morning sickness and lots of vomiting and causing us to move out of our little house because it was too much food that was making me vomit all the time. But by the time I got to 16 weeks, everything had calmed down and I felt good again until about 42 weeks, I think, was, which was when I got really sick with preeclampsia. Um, but I did have a lot of stress. There was a lot of stress in the last trimester of the pregnancy, um, like family stress and... Um, mental, like trying to study when I wasn't feeling like I was in the right mental space and I should have been focusing more on, yeah, more on myself and my changing body and my ba soon-to-come baby and my surroundings. Um, yeah. yeah, do you want to um, talk through a little bit of those kind of the early symptoms of preeclampsia and, and, and kind of, yeah, how that was sort of picked up by a midwife? Yeah, so um, so I was I was going really overdue. I was at so from about forty weeks or maybe forty one weeks, I think, was when Belinda started to get a little bit a little bit concerned about me going too overdue. She wasn't really worried, but she was just slightly concerned, and she was um, she was just sort of prepping me just in case I had to go to the hospital. And she, and not have her care anymore. But she was also saying that if she tells me all the risks and I still choose to choose her care over the hospital care, then that's fine. Um, and she'll still look after me. But just the thought of this, but just the stress that I was feeling about having to go into labour before a certain point was, it was just a little bit, yeah, it was a bit stressful on top of everything else. And plus, at, by then, at 41 weeks was when I had my first scan as well. She just wanted to make sure that everything was okay, which it was. But that was a little bit confronting for me as well because up until then I hadn't had any scans or heart monitors or anything at all, like no intervention whatsoever, and I was really happy about that. And it was also a little bit after that that the hospital started to call me a lot, like every day, and try and get me to come in for fetal monitoring and um, all sorts of tests that I just didn't want. And it kept building and building, and the pressure was building. And the then when it, when at 40, 42 and a half, 42 and three days, I think it was something like that. Um, Belinda came over to check me and she noticed that I was really puffy and and I was feeling quite 
sick and headachey, but I thought that that was just because I was so pregnant and heavy. And she tested my blood pressure and it was really high. I can't remember what it was, but very high. And then she told me that I had to go and get, go to, yeah, go to the doctor and get a blood test and a urine test. And they were both, yeah, they both showed that I had preeclampsia. Um, but we didn't find that out until the next day. But it was, it really was just my men, I really truly believed that it was my mental state and all the stress that was, and the pressure that was leading up to it that caused that. And me being at my dad's where I couldn't fully let go and open and be a, be a young girl who was transforming into a birthing woman in your father's house. That's a very hard thing to do. <laughs> Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, I guess um, with preeclampsia, it's quite urgent. So once you got those test results, how did things play out from there? Uh, so Belinda called me in early in the morning the next day, um, and she said that I have, I should go into hospital. She would recommend that I go into hospital and just confirmed that it definitely is preeclampsia and so we went in oh we went home first and packed our packed our hospital bag even though we were still thinking that we'd come home we went got into hospital and was uh monitored and some more tests were done and it was confirmed that it was definitely preeclampsia and i i still was being naive or optimistic or something thinking, oh, that's okay, I'll still go home and birth this baby at home. <laughs> but then I think I must have said that to her or to one of the nurses or doctors and, and they said, actually, you have to stay here now. And that was when it felt like I'd just been hit in the guts by a rock. I just, but I still still didn't fully, fully believe it. I had to go out of the room and call Belinda and, and she said, yes, she definitely it's serious, preeclampsia is serious, you do have to stay there. So I went, Jack and I, um, I wasn't letting myself feel down about it. I was I was acting brave, even though I felt like I just wanted to break down and cry. But it was my way of coping. I just wanted to, yeah. So that night we were put into a waiting room. There were like doctors and nurses running around everywhere to all the patients in all the beds around me and next to me and we were supposed to try and sleep there that night to be induced in the morning which in hindsight was really silly that should have been a sign that it wasn't an emergency and we could have gone home and rested and come back in the morning but anyway we wasted that whole night of sleep not sleeping and worrying and at 4am a doctor came in and took us to our own private room which was such a relief. And he said something like, like just making a joke, like, wow, what a time to be induced. You're going to be tired or something like that. And I was, <laughs> I was just like, oh, no, I can't believe we're starting this now after that just happened. That was our first taste of what the next three years was going to be like. <laughs> no sleep. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. So, um, what method did they use to start the induction with you? Um, they used they used the cervical gel. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, I'd had a, a, a few cervical checks before that, and the first one was fine, but each one was getting more and more painful. And the one where the doctor put the gel on was so painful; it was excruciating. Like I was yelling at him to get away. But it did start the contractions and they were becoming really quite regular and really full on as well. And I was I was just walking around the room trying to find some sort of comfortable place. Belinda and Steph, they got there at some point. I think they were there by then. And Steph was Steph was doing rebozo and telling me which just, just helping me get into comfortable positions and try and make my cervix open and try and let go a little bit. And Jack was a bit worried. He was sort of not really, didn't really know what to do at first, um, but it didn't take him long to relax into it and just, just listen to me. And he was mainly there as my leaning post and someone to hang off 
while I was in labour. So that labour went on like that for most of the day. It must have been the late afternoon when I really looked down at my legs and they were they were huge. They were like double the size of what they normally are. It was like having two legs together as one leg and and I was feeling so nauseous and awful and I, I just couldn't move. Like I had to get Jack to move me into every single position. I don't even know how he was actually that strong. I would have been so heavy. And I was really, yeah, really getting down about it, losing momentum. And I thought maybe if I have a bit of energy, then that might pick me up. So I asked Steph to go and get me some food. And I think she brought back a fruit salad or something. And as soon as I ate that, I just vomited it all up. But then it started to die off at, a, at maybe about 6 p.m.-ish. It was, it was dark, so it might have been around then. It just started to die off and that was when I really hit a low. I was really disappointed and the midwife who was the hospital midwife, she told she she recommended that we go and have a reset and have a shower together and just have a rest. So we did, Jack and I did. And that was when I finally let myself cry and feel the gravity of where we were, which was not where we wanted to be at all and what was actually happening and I was also forgetting that we were actually going to meet we were having a baby it felt like we were just there because of this sickness that I had Mm. so I asked Jack then I said what what can we do because I couldn't think anymore and I couldn't up until then I couldn't talk at all and I felt like I just couldn't keep going because I was feeling so sick as well as being in labour for a whole day and no sleep the day before. And he just said to me that we can, I don't have to go through this and I actually can just have a caesarean if I wanted to because we'd been we'd been talking to a lot of women who had been through traumatic births um, and then it ended up in a caesarean anyway and a lot of them recommended that just choosing a cesarean rather than putting yourself through that would be would be much better anyway. So that sort of clicked and I went, oh, yeah, I actually do have a choice and I actually don't have to do this if I don't want to. And it sort of gave me the, the energy and the desire to keep going after I realised I'm not being forced to do this. It made me think, oh, okay, now that I'm choosing to do it, I can do it. Um, so I went back out. Picked myself up and went back out and Jack spoke to the doctor and told him that we are going to keep trying. We're going to keep um, keep being induced but just, just slowly and just the way we want it. So, I, so on our terms, which, which was very different to the doctor's terms because the doctors, they wanted to break my waters and put the drip in at the same time, whatever that induction drip is called. They wanted to do that hours ago already. We were already over their time limit. Had they been monitoring your blood pressure and um, and the baby's heart rate throughout? Yeah, they had. They'd, they kept, they were monitoring my blood pressure quite often and they were. I had the, um, the fetal monitor strapped around my belly, which I hated. Mm. <laughs> but I guess, but I was letting them do it. I thought it was, I didn't know what I was in for, so I just let them do it. But his heart rate was fine the whole time. Um, yeah, so then I guess after after you kind of made up your mind that you wanted to go ahead with the induction, how did things, you mentioned that the labour sort of slowed down. Uh, did it pick up again or, um, yeah, how did things play out from there? Uh, I, told, I told the doctor, or Jack told the doctor, that, Um, he can try another round of the gel and just see if it does anything like it did the first time and so we tried it and it was we tried it it was um, sometime early night that that he put it on and through the whole night I was having contractions but they weren't getting any stronger at all and they weren't getting any closer together like they were keeping me awake so I couldn't sleep and had to get up through everyone but they weren't 
opening my cervix or doing anything else. So then by the morning, the doctor came in and he was really pushing me now to have my waters broken. Well, he, yeah, he wanted to do the full thing, but he was just doing it step by step now that he knew me better. And I still didn't want my waters to be broken. I just still wanted to give my body more time because I just knew that as soon as the full induction, the drugs are in me, things could really go downhill. It was my biggest fear, so I was putting it off as long as I could. And things didn't pick up, so after Jack and I had a little rest in bed together for a couple of hours, Jack went out and found the doctor and told him that he can break my waters. So he did, he came in. My waters were apparently right there ready to break. Like he said if I hadn't stood up, they probably would have broken anyway. So they were very ready. I was glad about that. Um, and we must have waited a bit longer and nothing happened again. Contractions are still exactly the same. And then I decided, then the doctor came in and asked again if he can, if he can induce properly by putting that, or fully, in, fully induce by putting the drip in. Um, and that time I said, okay, yes because I was so tired and ready and my body just wasn't doing it and we were there so so yeah it was time to say yes that time so as even though yeah I was really I was scared then and I knew things would go bad as soon as they did it and sure enough the drip went in and it brought the contractions on really fast and strong and worked but my blood pressure went through the roof yeah, so my blood pressure spiked through the roof. Yeah, it, it panicked everyone. Everyone who was in the room panicked and a whole heap of other people came into the room. And I was put onto the, told to, yeah, I was somehow made it onto the bed and had both my arms were full of drips. The other arm had some sort of blood suppressing medication in it, which felt like burning shards of glass in my veins um, and plus the the induction drip was still in and on so my contractions were getting stronger and stronger and I was lying there stuck on my back oh and I had a catheter in as well so I really did feel like I was stuck strapped to the bed I couldn't get up I couldn't do anything and that was when I just thought oh no I Actually, I thought I couldn't do it before, but now I actually can't do it. And I said that to Steph or Belinda, one of them, and I was sort of expecting them to say, um, you can keep going, because that's what they'd been doing the whole time. They'd been like, pushing me on. You can do it, getting me through all the walls. But this time they didn't say that, and, and it sort of shocked me. I sort of thought, oh, they're not saying I can. Maybe I actually can't. Oh, no. And um, I was so I was I was completely out of it then. Not long after that, I just missed everything that anyone was saying to me. I couldn't. I was like I was just not in the room. Like I knew my body was there, but I just wasn't there. And someone. Uh, the only thing I did hear was that um, was one of the midwives said sorry to me for accidentally keeping the the inductors. What's it called? Sin, sin, I think it's syntocinin, maybe. Syntocinin, yeah, that's it. Syntocinin drip for accidentally keeping that on um, while she was while everything else was going on. That was supposed to have been turned off. So as soon as she turned that off, I felt like I could function a little bit again, even though I was it was still contracting just as much, but I was a little bit more present. And then I noticed that Jack was getting into his scrubs next to me and I asked him why and he said because you're having a cesarean and at that point I just thought thank god this is going to be over soon um and the uh the midwife told us that there was a queue of three women who needed cesareans so it could take a while it'll just depend on which which case is the most the highest emergency, I guess. Yeah. 
so yeah so then as she was saying that the bed came in and they put me on the bed and wheeled me straight out and so and and I remember thinking thank god someone finally understands what I'm going through and how serious this is <laughs> <laughs> so um if, yeah was we I I think Jack was behind me he had to stay in a, in a different room while they were getting me prepared and that was a bit scary not having Jack there I was and I saw I was still a bit out of it I still didn't know I still missed the part where they were explaining that he was going to come in afterwards so I thought that I was going to be there alone and that was really scary but then he once I was in and I had the spinal um, and I was feeling so much better because I couldn't feel any of the contractions anymore and I was just lying down. He came in and it was such a relief. Um, and the, I think it was a midwife who was up at my head looking after me and meant to, I think she was supposed to be making me feel better and like coaching me through it a bit. But she was talking to the doctors and the rest of the team about about the weekend and about like what dinner they had last night and trying to include me in it and just trying like asking me silly questions like what's your favorite meal or something like that and I just wanted to just punch her in the head like <laughs> I ended up answering her dumb questions with like one word answers to be polite which Looking back, I don't know why I ever thought I needed to be polite in that situation. But, um, <laughs> God, it made me so cross. Anyway, um, he, was, he was born really soon after that. This screaming, absolutely screaming baby came out. Like, so, such a loud scream. I still haven't heard a baby cry that loud, ever. Um, and he was a little boy, which was exactly who I knew it would be after meeting him in America. Um, and he was put straight, oh, I think, actually, I don't, I think Jack held him while they cut the cord and put a towel on him and then he was put straight onto my chest. But it wasn't long, it was really quick. Mm. Um, and then, How did you feel in that moment when you finally got to hold him for the first time? Um, I felt... I felt so relieved. I felt like I looked at him and I went and I recognised him straight away and knew that it was my baby. It was the one that was talking to me years before or a year before, no years. Um, I just felt so relieved that it was all over and just looking at him thinking, oh, my gosh, this is just like looking in the mirror. It was me, a boy version of me. <laughs> <laughs> He does look so much like you. Yeah. But I didn't have that, I didn't have the, I didn't feel proud. I felt, um, I felt really relieved and happy to meet him, but straight away I felt disappointment that I didn't get to birth him the way I wanted to and that, yeah, that things had ended that way. And we might just um, kind of quickly go through, yeah, what the rest of your hospital stay was like and then, um, yeah, maybe that share a little bit about what the recovery was like and, and kind of the bonding with Bernie and initiation of breastfeeding. Yeah. Um, he, so when we were wheeled out into the recovery room, um, I took off his towel and my top and put him on my chest and he crawled straight up on my nipple and latched perfectly straight away. And I hadn't even heard about um, breast crawling before that. I just put him on and instinctively it just happened, um, and it, which was really amazing. Because, yeah, I, my, another fear I had was that um, cesarean babies often don't latch as easily, but he did really well. <clears throat> um, oh, he, from the very beginning, he... He, he was unhappy, like he was, I think he was traumatised or he, maybe he picked up on the, the drugs which were suppressing my nervous system. They might have made his um, uh, extra, extra alert or something. 
because he was, yeah, really, really tense and on edge and just cried and cried and cried from day one, um, <clears throat> which was a bit of a shock. Um, but we bonded really well and Jack stayed in there with us. We, we actually, we even got to have a, a double bed to ourselves in our own private room. So it was just the three of us for most of the time. And it was, it was as good as we could have asked for, really. There were, oh, there were a few times where Jack had to leave for work or just leave to go to the bathroom or something. And a doctor would come in and try and push me into things that I didn't want to do, even though, even though my answer was always no. But I just felt bullied and like they were picking the, the opportunities when Jack wasn't there to help me stand up for myself. <clears throat> um, but mm. other than that, it, it was good. I didn't really get any sleep because the doctors and, well, I think the nurses and midwives were coming in and checking my blood pressure all the time, so often. Like, it would have been hourly for the first night, waking me up. Which, which I felt was really unnecessary. I was cross about that. And did the preeclampsia symptoms subside like pretty soon after his birth, or kind of how did that end? Yeah, they did. Yeah, I was lucky. They, um, my swelling went started going down absolutely immediately, and by about day three, my blood pressure was back to normal again. So after you got home and brought brought Bernie home from the hospital, how were those kind of first early weeks with him and, yeah, recovering from a cesarean and, and looking after a very unsettled baby? I, yeah, I I know because I was around a little bit at, at that time that it was pretty hard, but would you like to share a little bit about what that experience was like? Yeah. Um, so I remember the first day that we got back, it was so full on. I just remember um, coming home into a really excited, full, noisy house with everyone who had the best intentions in the world, but but it was so full on after what I'd just been through and I had a newborn who was so overstimulated and wouldn't stop crying and I could hardly, hardly, well, I, yeah, I could hardly walk. Um, and sat down at the dinner table with everyone that night and just felt like I was on a different planet. Like <laughs> it was, yeah, really such a strange feeling. Or well, I didn't even, I wasn't even able to sit down actually. I had to be bobbing Bernie around the lounge room trying to half eat at the same time while trying to recover from a cesarean. Yeah, the early weeks were, were very full on. He he was crying for most of the time. Like I'd the only time that he wasn't really crying was when he was asleep on me, on in the in the ergo, which I call the pouch. Um and even then he only slept for maybe twenty minutes at a time if I was lucky. And then he'd just wake up and scream again. So it was really, really full on. And I'd never been around any other babies before. I literally, since I was a little girl, I had never, never even held a newborn or a baby. So I had no idea what I was in for. And kind of when I was thrown in the deep end like that, I kind of just thought it was normal and I just had to suck it up because I had nothing to compare it to. Mm. Yeah. And I, at the time I didn't realise how much I was struggling but in hindsight looking back at all those days that I was just in tears and just feeling completely um completely powerless and out of control um mm, that was definitely, yeah definitely something I needed help with but didn't know where to find it yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, in one way, a lot of people who 
who have babies already will be able to relate to those kind of flashes of moments where it's you feel like you actually can't do it anymore and you want to yeah just want it all to stop but it was it was like that most of the time for you (laughs) yeah it felt always anxious and was always on the verge of tears and just yeah just didn't think I was I I just remember thinking I am the worst mum in the world like I am not cut out for this I shouldn't be a (laughs) mum it was yeah hard oh that's just so sad so heartbreaking to hear yeah Mm. Uh, and I think also the other part of why I felt like that was also because of the birth I also had a really strong um, overpowering feeling that because I couldn't give birth naturally I'm also not a woman as well that's what I thought Mm. not fit to be a woman not fit to be a mother yeah really devastating do you think in hindsight well I guess nothing really prepares you for motherhood anyway but but yeah as you said being young and not having been around babies very much that that kind of I guess played into it just not obviously not as educated as you are now and yeah definitely I had no idea what to expect and I thought I did that was the thing I thought I was I thought I knew what I was doing have being prepared with a with an awesome birth team a doula and a midwife and Jack and planning to be at home for a home birth and all the um natural parenting books that I'd read I thought that I'd prepared myself as well as I could but well I guess I probably did as well as I could but still nothing can prepare you really can it Mm. (laughs) no (laughs) and you know even if you could prepare like every every birth and every postpartum is going to have just (laughs) curveballs thrown all the time you know like there's so much unexpected that you can't really prepare for anyway yeah yeah it's really true know from being alongside you for that journey that it was a pretty traumatic birth and that well I suppose as you said earlier today it's something that you realize you still haven't completely worked through but at what point did you feel like you're ready to have another baby or um, was Oscar's pregnancy a planned one or so yeah how did that transition come about um we we're traveling around Australia at a, at the time, Bernie, Jack and I, and we, we'd started to talk about another baby in the future, but again, we weren't planning for it to come as soon as we, as soon as he did. Um, we were in, I think we were in Townsville when we conceived him just in a, in a dingy caravan park at the back fence in our tent Bernie must have been asleep (laughs) and not expecting to conceive of course and then a few weeks later when we were at the at the Mooloolaba we were and I thought I had that feeling again and my period wasn't late I just had another feeling that there was another baby coming and Bernie was only 10 months old at this time so when I took the pregnancy test at the at the caravan park I was very surprised and shocked but but this time I just called Jack in he was there this time and we both looked at the pregnancy test and we both just burst out laughing we it was like an uncontrollable laugh like oh my god I can't believe this has happened again oh but so I think we were kind of we were we were happy we were very glad this time we didn't didn't have to adjust this time we felt like we could handle it even though Bernie was so young still and I was only I was still not sleeping I was still getting about like 20 minutes at a time through the whole night if I was lucky um so I was feeling very depleted, but I sort of just thought, oh, well, we're young. Who cares? Let's just do it. We were 23, 23 at this time. And we just jumped in. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so did you um, continue with your trip around Australia or 
um, yeah, I guess did did the morning sickness sort of kick in and affect your travel plans mm. at Yeah, it did actually. We we were sort of slowly on our way back anyway, back down to Victoria. Um, but I did start to get morning sick and started losing to losing a fair bit of weight and just feeling yeah, you know what it's like to feel morning sick. Awful. So we did sort of, we did head back a lot faster after that and just got home. And, uh, yeah, what sort of, yeah, after that caesarean birth, I know um, you went on to plan another home birth. Um, how was it making decisions about your care and come out with a bit of a birth plan the second time around? I'm pretty sure we immediately knew that we were, were going to try for our home birth again. But then... Through the pregnancy, we were going back and forth, wondering whether we should just go with the hospital and save that 5000 or more dollars that go towards home birth because I knew that potentially it might end up with a hospital, with, in hospital anyway. So we were sort of wondering whether it would be a waste of energy trying to plan a home birth. But we ended up deciding that, yes, it's still worth it, even if, we, even if the outcome is another hospital trip and even if it's a cesarean so we went with Steph again because we just loved her love still love her Um, and she was our doula again and we also went with Belinda again as our midwife and I didn't shop around again which yeah I'm not really sure if that was beneficial or not this time but I was yeah I was happy with the birth team again though I just afterwards was wondering whether I would have had a different outcome if I had have chosen a different midwife not sure and yeah with getting preeclampsia and Bernie's birth was there do you know whether there was kind of an increased risk of having preeclampsia again or um yeah did that mm. kind of put you into high risk category having had that experience last time I mean obviously having um, a section already probably yeah high risk but yeah. yeah well that was yeah that was a factor I was classified as high risk because I'd already had a cesarean even though I actually knew I wasn't high risk um and that apparently it is unlikely that you'll have preeclampsia in the second pregnancy if you did have it in the first one but you're still more likely to have it again than a woman who's never had it and did you kind of, like, I think if you're going through the hospital system, it's not recommended to have another pregnancy so soon after having a cesarean. And, I mean, Oscar wasn't planned, but did that, was yeah. it, did you need to have any discussions with the midwife around kind of increased risk for that? Or um, mm, I actually can't remember that. I, I actually don't remember. I think I, think I mentioned it to maybe just, Belinda and I think she thought it was a fine time scale even though it was so close yeah so that's the sort of why I thought the the risks aren't as high as they sound because yeah well because I don't think anyone was concerned about the space between my babies as far as I know as far as I remember anyway and I was pretty sure I wouldn't get preeclampsia this time because I was doing a lot of um, some different things this time. I was being more conscientious about my diet. I, I know it's not scientifically proven, but there have been people who suggest that maybe if you eat a lot of protein, you're less likely to get preeclampsia. So I was doing that a lot. And I was um, having acupuncture um, just to help with stress levels and I was living in a different place by now. We were, we were living at our own place in Gruya, So we had our own space. So just a lot, there was a lot less stress in my life. And yeah, so I really felt like the risks of anything like that happening again were really low. And, and if, I, and even if they were to occur again, I would have just handled it differently and tried to stay at home anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what were the last kind of a few weeks of your pregnancy with Oscar like and when did you go into labour? So, yeah, the last few weeks were good. I 
was seeing Steph regularly for some just body work and internal work that she does. She oh no, well she showed Jack how to do that and Jack was doing that with me. It felt really by the end of it I felt like I was in a really good place. I'd also been seeing Murray that the acupuncturist and he was slowly week by week saying telling me that my body's sort of getting more and more ready and by the last appointment um he's he noticed that it really felt like my body was really ready and I agreed I thought it really was and the next day which was 40 weeks and five days I Jack and I made love that day and sure enough I went into labor which I was amazed about I was that that to me was just the biggest breakthrough because I thought I couldn't even go into labor so I was so excited when that happened and yeah how how was the kind of early labor and did things establish pretty steadily yeah um early labor Oscar's birth is so foggy he's it's the hardest one to remember I it it was the early evening when I first started to feel like it was like this was different to what I'd felt before and uh, and I was feeling really positive and we I, I went to we went to bed as normal and I stayed in bed all night but was being I didn't didn't really get much sleep I might have got like an hour at the beginning of the night but other than that I was just being woken up which I was really excited about and I think that was part of the reason I didn't sleep as well because I was just so excited that it was actually happening. Then the next morning we called my mum. She was coming to look after Bernie, who at the time was only 19 months, 19 and a half. And I was really quite anxious about how he would be without me because he hadn't really been separated from me even though he was still going to be around the place, he wouldn't have me as the, as the one who was doing the main looking after. So as soon as mum got there, I, even though I knew he'd be fine with her, I couldn't really let go and just trust that he would be fine. So I think that was when things started to slow down and I sort of, oh, so yeah, before that, um, contractions in the more early, really early morning, they were getting really close together, like a, f- a couple of minutes apart each time. And Jack was timing them and, and we were getting, um, we were going for walks to try and get them to stay. And we also told, called Steph and Belinda and they advised, they, they advised that we just rest for that day. And they also told us, it could die off during the day when Bernie gets up and when everything starts happening and sure enough it did. So, so we weren't worried because we were sort of expecting that to happen. And Jack's dad and partner came around for afternoon tea or lunch or something like that. Um, and that was when my contractions started to slowly, slowly come back again, but I was sort of trying to hide them and, sort of still trying to keep conversation and didn't want anyone to know but I think he Jack's dad picked up on it anyway and he sort of knew that it was time to leave and went home and that was when things really started moving again I was it was good timing I was relieved about that (laughs) and um, we so we rested that afternoon as much as I could in between contractions and Jack and I were just down in the house on our own, just labouring through the night. And I really can't remember any details about it. But the next morning, things started dying off again a little bit, but they were still there. And then by late afternoon or mid-afternoon, we called Steph and Belinda and asked them to come around. I think Steph was at your house actually having having dinner at your house and so and you were cooking a chicken soup for me when you heard that I was in in labor and she was I think she must have come around after after you'd all finished dinner mm. um anyway as when she did get there though so that was my 
that was by then I was up to my third night of no sleep so I was really tired by then and really getting sick of it dying off and picking up and dying off again and when she got there um she she just jumped straight in and just did so much body work and was so hands-on and practical and I just felt like oh thank god this is exactly what I need and and I got to a point where I was sort of feeling bad that she was going to get too exhausted because she was so hands-on and doing such um doing such work that that needs so much strength for so long like rebozo and things like that it picked must have picked up yeah it did it did it picked up again after she did a lot of that work and finally Oscar started moving down into my pelvis finally and I finally started feeling like it was getting somewhere and I was progressing a little bit and I was I was so tired even though I knew it wasn't time to hop into the birth pool I wanted Belinda and Steph to fill it up just so that I could have a rest and a bit of gravity um, less gravity so they filled it up for me and told Jack that he can go and have a rest for an hour or so in bed and it must have been about midnight by now um, and Jack was sort of just expecting to go to bed for an hour or two and then come back out and be here again um, but when I was straight away when I hopped into the pool I felt um, Oscar's head popped straight back up against and just hit me straight in the ribs again and I thought oh no all those three day two day two days of labor had just gone completely to waste so I was really disheartened then and stayed in the pool anyway but my contractions were fading again and by the time it was the early morning and I remember the it was still dark, but the first, the first bird songs had begun. Um, I asked Belinda if she could check my cervix. I hadn't had any checks up until then. And she checked it while I was still in the pool. And she said that she couldn't even find my cervix at all. So I was absolutely devastated. Like, I don't know how I could have been in labor for that long and nothing, literally nothing had happened. Um, so that was when I just said to her, okay, well, if this isn't happening and I am so exhausted, should we just go to the hospital? And she said that, yes, she was going to suggest that anyway. She was just waiting for the morning. Um, so poor Jack, by the time he, by the time someone woke him up, we had already decided that it's time to go to hospital and change something get this baby out and he got up and he heard the news and he just started crying and I remember feeling so guilty that I I've, I just completely forgot that we needed to make the decision together and obviously once he was up I was I was very um very happy for him to change my mind and make the decision with me but that just the way that we told him I think was a very not a very nice way to be told he he was expecting to sleep for one or two hours but he fell asleep and just didn't wake up until the morning so a lot had happened and he was quite shocked um so so Belinda was um she was sort of trying to hurry me and Jack into the into the car and get to hospital in a bit of a in a little bit of a hurry but um Steph was trying to make things beautiful and trying to give me a ceremonious closure on the home birth that I was again not to have <laughs> and just taking her time and saying some prayers and and um I just remember yeah a little bit of a little bit of tension between those two for the first time that I'd noticed so we went to hospital so it's about a 45 minute drive to the Anglis from there. Um, and the whole way I only had about three contractions. So it was actually fine. I had nothing to worry about at all. And we got there and the, the, um, they were all changing shifts because it was really early in the morning and the people who were on 
when we first got there was so tired and grumpy that I was sort of, yeah, really feeling really uncomfortable again being there. But as soon as the shifts changed, they were, it was a lot more comfortable to be there again. And we, and I, Jack and I decided that we didn't want to be induced again because of our, because of, yeah, because of my fear of being induced and because of what happened last time. We thought if, if this labor's not happening, the only thing there is to do is just have another cesarean. So we requested it this time and there were, the hospital was obviously more than happy to do that. <laughs> and so we went into theatre and it was, it was actually a really smooth cesarean. I was lying there on the table just sort of not believing that we were in that situation again, just lying there. I guess I looked really blank because the midwife looked at me and she said, um, you look like a stunned mullet. And I just, <laughs> I was so offended in that moment because I'd just been through three sleepless nights and labour on and off and was so disappointed that I hadn't got anywhere. And and she said that I looked like a stunned mullet. <laughs> then they, yeah, did the operation and there was no banter this time about no no one small talking around me trying to ask me what I was going to have for lunch the next day or what I was doing on the weekend. I specifically asked them not to do that this time and they, they didn't, which I was so happy about. And little Oscar was born. We knew that he was a boy this time. And when he was born, his cry was so small and quiet and we, we were expecting another one like Bernie and, we just looked at each other like, oh, my gosh, is this even a baby? He sounds so tiny. <laughs> and he was put straight onto, uh, yeah, straight onto my chest and we delayed the cord clamping until we were out in the recovery room and everything went really well. He was put on my, I, I, put, I unwrapped him and put him on my, chest again and he also crawled up to my breast and latched on straight away like his brother did and did, I just felt I didn't feel any emotions this time I didn't feel happy I didn't feel sad I didn't I didn't feel anything I just felt completely numb it was really strange accepting that well this has happened again and it wasn't a stressful emergency this time but it also wasn't a beautiful um, flowing birth that I wanted so it wasn't until months and months after I think it wasn't until actually our friend Ella had her first baby at home that I realized that I did actually have pain around having another cesarean and not having a home birth again yeah <laughs> yeah I really feel you with that. <laughs> and yeah. Well, yeah. How, how was your transition this time to being a mum of two and recovering from a cesarean and, yeah, just the early weeks of postpartum? Um, I, uh, I found it challenging again, not as challenging as the first time, that's for sure, but... Um, we were in our own space this time too. So when we got home from the hospital, it was quiet. There was a huge, or there was a bit of a mess, but there wasn't a huge mess because you actually and my mum had cleaned up a little bit. So we still had to do a bit, but it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, and um. Jack had a few weeks off, or I think maybe two weeks off. And so we adjusted together to that. And um, it was when he went back to work. Oh, and we also got gastro in maybe some sometime in the first week, we all got gastro, all four of us, including the new baby. So that was really hard to look after everyone with that. Um, 
Oh, how but, was doing, like vomiting with your cesarean scar? What was that like? Yeah, that was bad. I was on pain medication, luckily, but that was so bad. <laughs> it really hurt. And I forgot that I also had a bad cough too. So every time I coughed, I felt like I was splitting it open. It was so painful. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. But but uh, but Jack was there through the worst of that. So it wasn't until he went back to work. Um, and he was working away at the time too. Um, I think he was either working at, in the city or... Yeah, he must have been working in the city at that time. So he was back at night, but not until about 10 or 11 p.m. So he didn't really see the boys much in those early months. And that was that was really challenging for me because I just, I'd, I'd always be carrying two babies because Bernie was only 19 months old and obviously a newborn who I who was very clingy and I couldn't put him down ever um every time I put him down he'd wake up too but he was he was a lot more comfortable than Bernie was but still you know all all newborns want to be cuddled all the time so I was always having one on my shoulders and one on my front in the pouch or one on my back on or one on my side always having two um, it was really, really full on and having one tucked under my left arm and one tucked under my right arm at night when we were going to sleep through the whole night and, um, yeah, not personal space wasn't a thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll be a long time before you get any personal space back. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it felt more full on then though than it, than it does now with three. It felt because they were so young and so close together, it was just, it really was like having two babies. I can't imagine what it would be like having twins. It would be, yeah, <laughs> hats off to all those mums. Yeah, definitely. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Sophie. You can find some photos of Sophie and her boys on my Instagram page at keepbirthwild.podcast. Make sure you stay tuned for part two of Sophie's story, which is coming out next week. And yeah, hear how she finally got her home birth. Her six-week-old baby Jim was born at their home in remote Yirrkala in Arnhem Land, which is in the Northern Territory. And they actually had a midwife on Zoom as that's um, the only kind of option for care that they had available besides a another cesarean in hospital. It's a not-to-be-missed story, so keep your eye out for that one coming next week and don't forget to click subscribe so you're notified as soon as it's up. And I look forward to bringing you that episode next week.